Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving higher time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving higher. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. Marcus with Sean Hackett. This edition of Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. Axon Tire has got a couple great gifts to give away uh, to the loyal listeners of the Moving Iron Podcast. If you're interested in getting some of those, send an email to marketing at axontire.com and they will send you a free Alliance camouflage cap. Sean's been using it to gator hunt down there. <clears throat> He's been telling me it's been working out well, well, really well for him. So, so far, Sean, what's your thoughts on that cap? Uh, it, you know, I have not gotten a sunburn on, on my hey. bald spot up here. And that's, you know, that means everything to me. That so. does. That's a, that is the most important thing when you're looking at a hat. <laughs> keep that bald spot from getting sunburned. <laughs> Especially in that direct sunlight down there in, in sunny South Florida, you know. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> right on. So if you want one of those baseball caps, send an email to marketingaxontire.com. And they'll be sure to send one over to you. Send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at movingironpodcast.com. And I will make sure to get out to you a $50 discount if you want to sign up for the Moving Iron Summit coming up here in September 11th through the 13th in Nashville, Tennessee. Axon is giving the first 150 uh, people that sign up for that a $50 discount on their uh, registration fee. So check that out. So send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at movingironpodcast.com if you want to save some money and send an email to marketing at axontire.com if you want a free baseball cap. So it's a win-win, Sean. That's what they call that. So win, win. That's right. Definitely. So everybody, everybody wins on this one. All right. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs at Valley Transportation. Our goal is to help you reach yours. And no matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at AgDirect. TractorZoom has an access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create a connected customer experience and transform how you work 
today. Sean is with Hackett Financial Auto Book, Raton, Florida. He's nice enough to come on and talk about what's happening in the marketplace. So, Sean, how are you doing this morning? Pretty good, Casey. Pretty good. There is a, uh, oddly enough, still a lot of stuff to talk about, Sean. So, um, let's start with, you know, it's Thursday, so the export report's going to come out. Um, we're seeing some expectations out there between 300,000 and 950,000 metric tons of corn. Um, 150,000 to 350,000 in wheat, 600,000 to 1.2 million in soybeans, um, and mill is looking like it's somewhere between 150,000 to 350,000. Um, looks like estimates are kind of falling in line from where they were last week. So I guess, Sean, as you look at this this time frame and where we're at, and especially with um, until we get stuff going in Brazil and harvest starts happening there, we really won't see a big switch. But looking at our current export situation, what are your thoughts there, and how do you think that's going to trend? I kind of think with the dollar kind of being down here in the last uh, three or four weeks and the lower prices we've seen, you know, I, I think business might actually pick up um, as we move into the end of the year and and everyone kind of buttons up a little bit what they need. And um, so I'm kind of looking for some better numbers after a, a period of disappointment on the demand side. Plus it looks like the river levels are rising, which means we could probably you know, get a little more product moved. And so overall, I think we could see some better numbers here. Uh, that would be my expectation. So, um, all right. So, you know, we, we've talked a little bit about what we see happening in over in the Black Sea region. Quite well, we've talked quite a bit about that, but I mean, you're looking at, uh, you know, Putin puts out a, uh, uh, a headline yesterday, a quote yesterday. It says, uh, Ukraine war is going to be a long process. And, um, he has no, no intentions of, of keeping his foot off the gas there. He's going to keep doing what he's doing. Um, Ukrainians have done a good job of, of at least containing them to the, to the, um, Donbass region and the, uh, I can't remember another one it's called, but the same, the two regions where they, they originally started out at, um, they've regained some of that. They've done a lot of missile strikes and those kind of things. I know the Black Sea corridor is open, but I guess in your opinion, Sean, it's still going to be a slow trickle out of there no matter what happens because of infrastructure issues that we've seen, um, you know, devastated during this war. So looking at that Black Sea region, how much effect do you think that's going to continue to play uh, on the overall marketplace? And then how do you think that fits into the 23 um, export exporting of grain out, out of those areas, especially with the amount of grain that they have in those areas. It kind of seems to me that uh, the market has gotten complacent about what's going on in Russia, Ukraine. Uh, the market's totally like wheat market, totally, you know, pretty much taking the entire geopolitical premium off. I just don't think it's going to stay that quiet. Um, I, you know, I mean, we've, we've sort of been in the situation where, um, everyone just says, well, okay, the, the grain is moving to some extent right. out of Ukraine. Um, and we're just sort of in this, uh, it doesn't, you know, Russia hasn't made moves. It, you know, the, the market's gotten comfortable. This is just a situation for the foreseeable future. And I don't, I just don't think, first of all, I don't think that, uh, um, Putin is going to go out, uh, with a, without a fight. And I don't believe the people that want his job are going to let him go without a fight. <laughs> so yeah. it just seems to me that as we get into the new year, it just seems to me that something's going to happen there to reescalate that situation and possibly shut this corridor down 
um, again. And uh, like I said, I just think the market's gotten too complacent, too um, nonchalant about what's happening over there. And we may see that um, situation re um, emerge as a driving force here. And if it does, then obviously something like the wheat market or potentially even the energy markets, um, you know, could very quickly put some premium back on. I just think the market might have gotten all carried away at the beginning last year when they took prices up. And I think they're getting equally um, too, too complacent right now. So I'd be looking for some kind of an escalation um, as we get into the new year on some new initiative that shifts the psychology of the market right now from what it is. Yep. Uh, let's, let's talk about oil a little bit here as we head into looking at, at uh, inputs for, for the coming year here. You, you see a, a pretty sharp decline in the price of oil um, from what we've seen here at the, at the high of the first month. You know, we had a little over $80 here at the first of the month, and now we're we're uh, we're down about 10 bucks almost on that from where, where it is today. You know, looking at that, Sean, what are your thoughts on oil and, and what are some of the driving factors? Because that's been a, a pretty big hammer hitting oil here the last uh, couple weeks. Well, I mean, we know that the economy has a lag effect between rate increases, liquidity reductions, and demand. And so we're reaching that three to six month delay window where we're really going to see demand back off. And at the same time, we're still dumping strategic petroleum reserve on the market. So you have a double whammy of excess supply uh, coming in at a time that demand's having its lag effect. Obviously, it appears that the administration, the U.S. administration is betting that all the SPR that they've dumped, um, they might be able to buy back, um, you know, in the first quarter of the year or the first half of the year as the economy reaches its trough. Um, and that's that seems to be what the strategy has been. So far, the strategy has worked. <laughs> so far. So far, but, but, <laughs> but can they buy it all back um, yeah. or a good portion of it back without moving the market? You know, time will tell, but, um, but it's not rocket science, you know, to know that the U S economy, the global economy, and obviously the on again, off again, on again, off again, on again, off again, reopening uh, talk out of China, which, um, you know, is two steps forward, two steps back, you know, it's just not giving a lot of optimism that demand for energy, you know, uh, is going to be uh, robust here. Um, and so, you know, like I would certainly be paying attention to the federal reserve meeting here in December about maybe some clarity on their expectations of how much more they're planning on doing. And I'd certainly would get, try to get some clarity as moving in the year on how much longer we're going to dump SPR onto the marketplace. Cause once we stop doing that, you know, then we move from an excess supply situation to at least something more balanced you know, depending on how, how dire you want to be about uh, the demand side of the equation. So we'll just, you know, that's, I've always felt that so long as we're dumping SPR, it's pretty hard for the oil market to go higher at a time that the economy is, you know, certainly backtracking here. Right. But I think the kind of the double-edged sword of that is as soon as the government starts buying back mass quantities of oil to, to refill the strategic reserves, um, the price is going to come right along with it, correct? I mean, is that? Well, I mean, I think the government's betting that the gap between production and demand will be such that they would be able to come in and buy, maybe move it up some, but not move it up a lot because they'll be buying at a time of of 
uh, trough demand. I'm not sure that's going to be correct. That's their gamble. And obviously we don't know Casey until they stop SPR and they start buying, you know, the way I'm looking at things, the first quarter of 23, looks to me to be trough demand for energy trough demand for most things, I think. So um, it's a big gamble that they've made. Um, but, you know, I'm not sure they're going to be able to pull that off, but um, time will tell whether or not there's, you know, what kind of a supply demand situation we actually have when we reach trough demand, meaning how much worse will the economy get? Will we go into a recession, a deep recession, hard landing, all these things that we don't know yet? But I think they've made a gamble that's not likely to pay off, but um, we'll see, uh, you know, we'll see how it plays out. I pretty, I think that by the time the SPR comes off and they start buying, the market's going to run up in anticipation of that, but we'll see. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. All right, let's talk a little bit about what's going on over in the the beef and uh, hog market over there. If you're looking right now, we're seeing some pretty good upticks in October. We saw some really good upticks uh, from re reports done in beef and pork exports. Um, <clears throat> watching that move throughout uh, the last couple of months, you've seen both of which kind of get battered a little bit, mostly on the on the hog side, but the beef. Beef demand still seems pretty high, even with all the pressure that we see in front of them. So I guess, Sean, as you're looking at, let's start with the beef market first. I mean, you've talked pretty um, extensively about this, that you're expecting to see something in that first quarter where um, there could be a, a bit of a slowdown um, in that in that the beef production side. Or I'm sorry, the beef, uh, uh, what's what I'm looking for, Sean? The, on the money side, you know, making making some money on the beef side. So I guess looking at that, Sean, what's your thoughts there? Yeah, we've really seen the mark, the livestock markets roll over this week, Casey. It was not a, it's not been a good week. Cattle really rolled over, yep. um, and I think that, like I said, as we just talked about crude oil and the demand. You know, I just think the trough of demand is, you know, here in um, the first quarter, and I just don't think that. Uh, I, I don't think I still think, even though the animals have thinned out, and even though the slaughter. Um, Rates are probably going to fall. I just don't think that they're going to fall enough to offset the reduction in demand. Holiday season demand ebbs, of course, in the first quarter. I just, I think the market's starting to price in that reality, Casey. And when I, when I really look at where I think the the, the the imbalance is going to be, really looks like to me it's going to be sometime later in the second quarter onward, where um, we've reached trough demand. It's starting to come on the mend, and those animal feeding units get down to a level that creates a deficit you know a supply deficit versus demand but i just i i don't see it happening i think we're gonna have too much beef and not enough demand here into the first quarter and that means the livestock sector you know this rolling over this week you know could be the beginning of a of a, of a trend here for a while and we've continued to be worried about that and i continue to want to make sure that livestock producers you know button up their cash sale needs on their animals and protect the first quarter. I just think it could be a little ugly here until we get to the good side of the equation where the prices start to head higher. There's a mismatch and they get chances to really, you know, get some good prices again, but I just don't think that's the first quarter. And it looks to me this week might be the real reversal down that, that um, starts that process. So, so on the flip side of that, are you seeing, I mean, hog, like you just talked about, hogs had a big rollover too this week. And you're looking at hogs and poultry and all these different things that are going to substitute the higher price beef um, costs which, that we see at the store right now. I guess as you're looking at that, 
at that scenario, what are your thoughts there going in the first quarter? Well, I mean, the way I always look at it, you know, there's a certain amount of meat protein that's available from fish to chicken to pork to beef to whatever else that you like to eat. Um, and that demand's going to fall. Now, whatever that means, the pie is going to shrink. And so, you know, obviously, um, whatever demand there is, they're going to be value buying. You know, they're going to value buy what they think they can afford. They're going to value buy what they think they need. But but the but the pie is going to shrink sufficiently that even though let's say pork may benefit to some extent from beef, or that pork might benefit to some extent from you know the avian flu and reduction in chicken supplies, I just don't think that pie is big enough even in that context to support prices i think all of them have to fall casey i guess what i'm getting at um now maybe beef prices fall more and you know chicken prices fall less but i just i don't see the overall pie of meat protein demand being sufficient to bid up I, I, any protein markets at this point uh and so it's just a question of you know which which weight's going to fall faster than another, but I just think it's an overall bearish period for meat prices overall heading into the first quarter. And once we reach trough demand, then we take another look at how far down did we come and then start looking at signs that the Federal Reserve and, and the economy might be on the mend later in the year. And then the market has to again, you know, get ahead of itself as those animal feeding units really, sure. really fall off significantly <clears throat> into the second quarter onward. So that's kind of where we're at, but I, I just think it's a bearish environment for all meat proteins but probably exceptionally so for the beef side yep yep okay as we are heading into uh into 23 you've we talked pretty extensively here about glassberg cycle and what that's going to affect and what, what we see as far as the uh, uh the water vape in there put in there by uh, uh tonga when it went off and how that what that effect is going to look like last uh last time we talked about what we saw happening uh, with the volcanic activity and those kind of things and what we see happening there. So I guess, Sean, as you're looking at stuff right now, um, I guess what's, what's the, what's the best indicator that you're going to be able to say that we are headed into that Glassberg cycle in 23 or 24 instead of 25. What, what, are, what are your, what's that best indicator to, to really keep your eyes open for? We're going to be looking what's called the multivariate. And so, it is a measure of five different variables that constitute El Nino La Nina. So, I mean, obviously one of those variables is the sea surface temperatures of the Central Pacific. That's one of the variables, but there's a lot of atmospheric variables. So for, I, I guess the point is this, Casey, a lot of times you can have those sea surface temperatures warm, but the, uh, the overall atmosphere isn't responding in the way that actually produces a La Nina or an El Nino. So the key is, do we get the multivariate ENSO, that's E-N-S-O, to, uh, to give us the signal that we're going to get that indicator into El Nino territory in time for a good growing season for the United States. Um, and so the, looking at where I think we need to be, um, there's a trajectory, historical analog trajectory, that the multivariate ENSO, if you're going to go from La Nina to El Nino, needs to be at a certain spot by February if you're going to be able to develop an El Nino on time. And so we're essentially going to be looking to see if that 
right now it's still the it's a it's a it comes out once a month casey so it's not like we get this every day or every week once a month the last month reading was still negative 1.8 which is strongly la nina we would need that figure or that um you know that reading we really need to see that reading come down to you know neutral to minus 0.5 by february to be on a track for el nino spring summer if we don't get to that level by february um then there really isn't an example that that as far back as we can go with that because that that indicator goes back to 1850 so we can track it going back to 1850 and we know you know the minimum level we need in order to generate an El Nino within the spring, summer of the year that you're in. So if we don't get to that level, Casey, then that's where we're going to say we're not going to get it. Doesn't mean we won't get it. Just we're not going to get it on time for the U.S. growing season. Meaning if we get El Nino in the fourth quarter, okay, that's fine. But that doesn't, that's too late for the growing season. Meaning we, that's the point that we would pivot towards more of a, probability for the Gleisberg cycle one in 100 drought to trigger in 23 versus what the historical uh, historical cycle is suggesting that we get El Nino and we move into 24, 25. So that to me, Casey is the key metric to follow. And it's really the February reading of the multivariate. And so, like I said, it's five variables, atmospheric and sea surface temperature variables that are associated with El Nino La Nina. We'll get that number from uh, Noah will get that number probably by mid-March, I believe is when the reading will come out. So by mid-March, we'll have a good idea of whether we're on track or not. And that still gives at least plenty of time to take counteraction if it looks like that we need to plan on Gleisberg in 23 or not. But that's when we're going to be you know, making that important determination is when that number comes out. And we're going to be following the sea surface temperatures too, Casey, and it's not like we're that's the only thing we're looking at, but you asked what's the most, the most important variable is sure. the atmosphere has to link up and say, we're there with El Nino La Nina. And if it doesn't get to a point that we need it, then it's going it, to, you know, then we're going to have to pivot. And so we have some time still, but um, by mid-March, we'll have a really, really good read on what we ought to be preparing for. Um, if our current forecast um, is on track or if this, Tonga eruption has distorted or delayed the cycle until later on in 23. And uh, right now, as of this moment, you know, it's too early to tell. Uh, we just ha- like I said, we're going to get another reading. Uh, we're going to get the November reading uh, here in about a week or two. So that'll be a really, really important metric. We really kind of want to see that number, Casey, come down here in November and get kind of get ourselves moving down the path. Uh, you know, to get ourselves to that neutral spot by February. If we stay flat in November, you know, we're going to start getting a little worried uh, that we're going to run out of run out of time to get there. But we'll see. We'll see what the November reading is, and then we'll we'll go from there. So, right on. Okay. Well, good stuff as usual, Sean. Folks, want to reach out to you and get more information about what's happening with Hackett Financial. What's the best way to do that? Our website is Hackett H A C K E T T Advisors All kinds of information on there. That goes over what we do and how we do it. Um, just for everyone to know, we just completed a, a one-hour interview that I sent to you, Casey. That mm-hmm. uh, kind of goes over all this, and you know, if, if people want to get a little more granular and you know, we go over all of this in more detail and, and lay it out. Um, 
you know, um, I would suggest, you know, going to our LinkedIn page or our Twitter page and taking a look at that interview. It's, you know, free. It's, you know, it was done by someone else, a um, uh, top trader, uh, unplugged global macro uh, asked us to do this interview. And so that might be a good place for someone to go if they want to get themselves further on up to speed on some of these things, then, uh, then we can do on your show here. So, right and I'll link back to that, to that, uh, uh, stuff on my on my page when i release this out so sean uh good stuff man i really appreciate you being the podcast man thank you casey look forward to talking to you next week right on man i'm casey seymour with moving iron podcast check me out on facebook twitter and instagram at moving iron llc also go to uh moving iron uh podcast on linkedin and the moving iron podcast youtube channel to see the uh video version of this podcast here for more information about moving iron and anything else related to that go to moving iron llc.com you'll see all the blog posts and the history or the entire library of the moving iron podcast as well as all the information that's available for the moving iron summit coming up here in september 11th through the 13th in nashville tennessee so if you're interested in checking that out Send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at movingironpodcast.com and I will get you more information about that. So, with that, I am Casey Seymour, Sean Hackett. Squeeze smart, folks. Out. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800 800- 657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardware.